This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, after adding up the minutes and seconds of the programs I've got for you tonight, I have to put a big goose egg right beside my name, so it's straight to the entertainment and a story about an OSS member who has been dropped behind the enemy lines in Burma. From 1950, here's another episode of Cloak and Dagger. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Warfare, espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, The Cutchin Story, tells of an agent, an American agent, dropped behind Japanese lines in Burma. A story suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. The sky hangs low over Burma. In 1944, it was more than just the smoke and dust haze that blankets it in the dry season. It was the tension in the air that weighed the clouds down so that they almost seemed to be pressing against the wings of our plane. You ought to reach your objective in a few minutes, Mike. Good. I'll tell you when to hit the silk. You got everything? Yep. Radio, supplies, I'm all set. Boy, that's thick jungle down there. Thick with Japs. That's what I mean. I looked down on the towering, jungle-covered mountains of North Burma. I thought of the small band of Kutchin natives who were waiting to meet me. I thought about how pitifully outnumbered they were behind the enemy lines. Now they hated the Japs. And then, all of a sudden... Ah! I didn't have time to think anymore. Lousy Jap fighter. What cloud did he crawl out of? It's too late to run. We're in for it. Sorry, you're going to be late for your appointment. Brother, what I could do with a tail gunner now. Hold on to your stomach, Mike. Going to see if I can loop and get behind him. Hi, still on a tail. Yeah, he looped right behind me. He hit a wrencher. On fire. That lousy. Work, you got him. How bad are we hit? We won't make it. We're gonna try to belly laugh. Can we jump? Too low for that. Hold on. 
I was thrown from the plane when we crashed. I got off with nothing more than a leg that was bleeding pretty bad. When I crawled back to the wreck, I found the pilot. He wasn't so lucky. I started to run. I didn't know where I was going, but I started to run anyway through the bamboo thickets. My leg was throbbing with pain and I tripped. The pistol dropped out of my holster and disappeared into the high grass. I didn't have time to look for it. Somewhere to the north were the Cutchins. I had to get to them. This was headhunter country. In those days, Japs paid high prices for American scalps. After a while, my breath came out. I couldn't go any further. My imagination put Japs and headhunters behind every tree. I told myself I had to stop. I told myself I didn't have enough wind to take another step. But I changed my mind when behind me I heard a twig snap. There was someone following. A quiet, stealthy someone on padded cat's feet. I kept on running. Into the river. I didn't bother to look first for crocodiles. The numbness from my bad legs spread all over me. I could hardly swim. All I wanted to do was get away from that shadow behind me. When I reached the opposite shore, I clambered onto a sandbar. Safe. Safe. Then I looked back. I saw that tireless shadow emerge from the bushes and flit silently across the river on a fallen tree trunk. My lungs were ready to burst. I pulled myself up again and fell over some roots and waited. Waited for that shadow to catch up with me. I just lay there and waited. Okay. Okay, you win. Where do we go from here? We'll say something. Won't just stand there. I probably won't be able to understand you, but say something anyway. A half-naked warrior just stood there staring at me, saying nothing. I'd have given anything to have had my gun back again. And all of a sudden I did. He just reached down and handed it to me. Hey, I... I don't get it. What's that... What's that card you're holding? Follow this guide. He will lead you to safety. Well... Well, now you're talking. <laughs> sure, and you couldn't look more surprised, Captain, than if the tall grass parted and you came on a field of four-leaf clovers. <laughs> I feel that way, Father. <laughs> like you turned over a stone and there we were. Well, that's about it. I thought that native following him, it was a headhunter. I know they'd turn any American over to the Japs for a two-pound bag of salt. Ah, you're right there. Unholy savages that they are. We saw your plane fall, and I sent Ying here after you with that message written on the card. He's the fastest runner in the Cutchin village. I'm sorry he put such a scare into you. Oh, 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 oh forgive me, Captain Shea. Uh, did I pull the bandage too tightly then? No, no, it's okay. I don't want it too much. When I think of what happened to the pilot, I was lucky. 
Ah, yes. It was a pity about the pilot. Ying, the scissors, if you don't mind. Thank you. There. Oh, almost done now. Then we'll go out and you'll meet the villagers. The women have prepared a special banquet for you. Oh, that's very nice of them. Have you been a missionary here in Burma long, Father? Oh, for almost 12 years now. I hardly remember any other life. These good natives have all become sons and daughters to me. <laughs> We've taught each other. I speak their language. They all speak English now. They do? As well as I. Almost. Then uh, I have a question, Father. Yes? How come Ying over there took ten years off my life, chased me through the jungle? Why didn't he say something? Well, Ying didn't speak to you, Captain Shea, because he wasn't able to. What? He was a prisoner of the Japanese some time ago. They cut out his tongue. Yeah, that, uh, that other roll of bandage, please, Ying. Thank you. Colleen, put more wine in the bamboo cup for our guest, eh? Yes, I will be happy to. Here you are. What did you call her father? Colleen, to make it easier for me, I've renamed many of the villagers. That woman stirring the big kettle is Kathleen. And the other beside her, Bridget. <laughs> I get the general idea. <laughs> and your name is Shay. Ah, ah, Mike Shea. A good Irish name if I ever heard one. Well, uh, actually, Father, it's Michael Shekalnikov. Would you mind repeating that? Shekalnikov. It's Polish. I shorten it because everybody has trouble pronouncing it. Sometimes I have trouble myself spelling it. Yeah. I see. Well, no matter. No matter. Uh, uh, tell me more about your mission. Well, I was sent by the OSS to establish radio contact, Father, with the Northern Area Combat Command in Burma. Give them any information and help I can. That is, with your help, of course. Ah, yes. Well, you'll find us of great assistance. Immediately after the banquet, you can find a place to set up your radio. So, uh, how are you enjoying your meal? Mm. My wife never made anything that tasted like this. <laughs> Do you like it? Eat well. Let me fill your plate some more. Mm, thanks. Mm, it's very good. Uh, what is it? We make it special for you today. White bees we boil for hours. Uh, I, uh, guess I've had enough. I don't feel right moving you out of your hut, Father. Ah, it's quite all right. I can easily find another basher. This is the best spot for your radio. I, I'll even leave you the, the decorations on the walls to inspire you. <laughs> Ginger Rogers, huh? <laughs> That's your favorite pinup? Well, she's a fair lass, all right. She brightens up the basher. Well, with your permission, then, I'll uh, stick a snapshot of my wife up with the rest of these pictures. Yeah, that does it. You know, when I think of my wife, I feel a little guilty. Why is that, my son? Oh, I don't know. 
thought of her going blind, squeezing all the news from home into V-mail, worrying herself sick about me. And all the time, I never felt more free in my life. Yes, I know just what you mean. I love this life in the jungle, as well as the people, my people here. I don't think I could ever leave now, Shakari. Shakari. By the by, do you mind if I call you O'Shea? <laughs> no, no, not at all, Father O'Toole. Not at all. This jungle home was a far cry from the third floor walk-up in New York and the job behind the desk in the insurance office. The Cutchin warriors aren't imposing figures. They're short, squat, with long matted hair and teeth worn to a black stub by betel nut. They led a simple village life, eating rice, trapping wild pigs, the technique they also used in trapping wild Japs. But they were friendly, happy people, and life with them was pleasant. Until one afternoon when a report came in on the radio. North Area Combat Command to Agent Shakalnikov. Agent Shakalnikov of the OSS to North Area Combat Command. You're coming in clear, awaiting message. Come in. Over. Capture of jungle town of Michina and its airstrip is vital to aid Allied advance in Burma. Battalions of American marauders will attempt capture. They will rely on your help to get them through the jungle. Over. Agent Shikolnikov to headquarters. Have small band of Kutchins organized. We will do what we can. Awaiting further instructions. Over. Other native armies under OSS leadership have been alerted. Stand by. Stand by. This is imperative. Over and out. Well. What? Oh, Father O'Toole, I, I didn't see you standing there. You heard? I heard, O'Shea. This is a big push, all right. That airport at Michener could mean success or failure of the whole American campaign in Burma. We'll get our warriors ready. In the meantime, there's nothing we can do but wait for orders. That's always the worst part of it. Wait. My children, quiet. Now, it is as I have told you. When the order comes from the Americans, we will advance upon the enemy. We leave now, Father. Catch enemy ourselves. No, 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 no. That's not the way we must work from now on. The American will be our leader. We will do as he says. We will follow Captain O'Shea. Combat Command to Agent Shekalnikov in Burma. A battalion of marauders on the way to Michina has been cut off from the main body of the column and lost in the jungle. Radio contact gone. Find them and supply reinforcements. Over. Agent Shekalnikov to headquarters. We'll do the best we can. Over and out. Well, we've waited two weeks for an assignment, but when it came, it was a beauty. Well, the problem, O'Shea, is locating that battalion. Now... It occurs to me... Yes, yes, Father. It occurs to me that if they're surrounded by the Japanese somewhere in the jungle, the Japanese themselves would know exactly where that spot is. Father, I don't get you. Well, there's a Japanese bivouac less than six miles from here. 
There are undoubtedly Japanese high command who have the information we're after. I've got you now, Father. Let one of the scouts come with me to show me the way through the jungle. We'll sneak into that Jap camp and bring one of the officers back with us. Wait, the two of you alone? Sure, sure. Too many of us and we're liable to get caught. Just a couple of us can make it. All right. Wait till the moon is halfway across the sky. Then go. And the Lord go with you. When the moon was halfway across the sky, the scout and I set out back through the jungle I had come from. Only this time I was a shadow too, slipping behind the bamboo thickets, cutting my way through the dense jungle foliage. We didn't talk much. Only what was necessary. Jap, camp, close, no. Good. Jap, camp, there, ahead, see through bushes. Yeah, I see. All those fires lit. Must be some kind of a powwow going on. Sentry, there, where finger points. Yeah, I see. We will surprise Sentry. Sneak in camp from there. Right behind you. No talk. Quiet, no talk. Noise, bring many traps. Okay, through the bushes. Follow me. Watch for snakes. Is that all you're worried about? What about the tigers, wild boars, Komodo lizards? Watch for snakes. Snake. You move. It's strike. What do we do? Can you get him with a stick? A rock. Gun best. Gun, they'll hear us. Gun best. Rock no good. Stick no good. If I miss, you die. Gun. Gun. Boom. I stood there like somebody who had been frozen dumb and stiff. My heart was pounding like a jungle tom-tom. If he killed the snake, the Japs were sure to come running. If he didn't... He raised his gun slow. Slow. The snake was swaying back and forth. Dead. Snake. Much dead. He killed him all right, but we didn't have time to escape back into the foliage. After that, nothing's clear in my mind. There were Japs all around us, yelling like crazy, and lots of guns going. And the Cutchin scout fell flat on his face, dead. Then somebody butted me from behind with a pistol. And the moon went out of the heavens. And the sky that hangs low over Burma came down and hit me in the face. Wake up, American. Wake up. What? Huh? What happened? Oh, my head. I am Colonel Haichi of Japanese High Command. I regret that we were forced to render you such stormy welcome. Colonel Haichi, eh? You speak English pretty well. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, class 37. DeWitt Clinton High School, the Bronx, class of 33. We will get along well, I think, if we make a little trade. What kind of a trade? Your life for little information. I see. The American marauders. I want to know their numbers, their positions, their objective. I don't know. If I did, I wouldn't tell you. God. Oh. 
That whip was simple. We have much more in store for you if you do not agree to be more agreeable to our simple requests. I give you 24 hours to think it over, American. The hut they threw me into was small and dark. There was a sentry posted at the entrance. What I remember most about those 24 hours was the heat. Wet, sticky heat that made my skin crawl and my lips dry. It was a cute trick of the MIT graduate class of 37 to let the water drip from a pipe right outside the barred window. After a while, it begins to get you when you're thirsty. You, get up. Get up. Can I see you now? Up, American. Okay, okay, get your hands off me. What? What's that? Uh, stampede, stampede, elephants. Oh, good work. That's one less Japanese to worry us. Father O'Toole, where'd you come from? What is this? No time for long explanations now, lad. They outnumbered us 50 to 1, and we needed heavy ammunition. Elephants were the heaviest we could find. Yeah, but how did you... Well, when you didn't come back, I sent a runner. We found the body of this guy. Come, we must leave now. Yeah, but the information I came to get. Oh, 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 that. We'll take it with us. Kutchin warriors in this village have a grudge against your people, Colonel Hayachi. Maybe you can tell us why. You cannot frighten me, American. You get no information from me. Shoes on the other foot now, huh? So it would seem. Ying. I'd like you to meet Ying, Colonel Aichi. Some months ago, he was a Japanese prisoner. His tongue was cut out. I'm going to turn you over to Ying. No, no. He can ask you questions his own way. Go on, take him. No, no, no. No, get him away from me. I will tell you what you want to know. I will tell you why we have surrounded lost battalion. I tell you where they are. That's more like it. Start talking. The warriors got ready to attack. And a great holiday spirit took over the village. But we must come. We always come, Moshe, when our warriors go ambush Japanese. But this is crazy. I can't have a lot of women and kids and old men tagging along. We go. We go. Old men carry flintlock, muzzle loader. Women, we do our job also. Now, wait a minute. When battle finish, women cook big party. Sambadia, monkey meat. What, and serve it piping hot in the front lines? Nothing doing. I'm going to see Father O'Toole about this. <laughs> You have your troubles, I have mine, O'Shea. But we can't let that whole tribe come along. This isn't kids' play. They'll come whether you like them to or not, O'Shea. They always do. In the meanwhile, look at my predicament. Some son of Satan stole me false teeth. What am I to do without my teeth? Father O'Toole, please, we have much time. Aichi gave us a map. We know where the marauders and the Jap attackers are. But we won't do them any good just sitting here. I'm not just sitting here, O'Shea. I'm trying to find me teeth. (laughs) 
The whole village went along, whether I liked it or not. And Father O'Toole came along, too. Without his teeth. The Cutchin warrior knew the back trails of the jungle as well as I knew 42nd Street. Ying seemed to be the leader, and he led us through little-known passes along hidden underbrush, closer and closer to the spot where we knew the Japs had the American battalion cut off, helpless, just where they wanted them. No one made a sound, and Ying held up his hand. What is it, Ying? This junction of the two trails. He's not sure which one to take. That's it, Ying, isn't it? Well, why don't we split up? Half of us go one way and the other. No, no, no. There aren't enough of us. The Cutchins have their own methods. Why is Jing pointing at me? He's given you the honor of contributing a hair from your head. A what? A hair from your head. Here, let me have one. Ah, thank you. Here you are, Ying. Why is he throwing it on the ground? We'll go in the direction the hair points. It's not very scientific. No, but it always works. Ah, it points to the right. We'll go to the right. You're right, Father O'Toole. It did work. Here are the Japs. And there are the marauders dug into those foxholes. Yeah, they're surrounded, all right, boy, lads. So I wonder they held out this long. Our business then is to attack the enemy from the rear and give the battalion a chance to hit back. We can't attack them. There's too many of them. We'll have to ambush them. Yes, yes, true. I, if only I had me teeth, I could think better. Ying, some of you others, come here. Listen, our only chance is to draw them off from the left. There's a clearing there. We'll give the marauders a chance to get out of that encirclement. We chase Jap soldier up here. We set trap for them. That's the idea. Panji! We make Panji! Panji? What's that? Hey, you want a trap, set? What? You're about to witness the catching secret weapon. What are they doing? They're whittling those bamboo poles to sharp points. Then they'll stick them at the slant beneath the underbrush on either side of the trail. When the enemy passes, our warriors will fire, and the Japanese will dive to the sides. I get it, and cut themselves to ribbons. Very effective. Very pretty. The natives worked quickly. The women helping them whittle the bamboo to razor points. When everything was ready, I took a few of our men to the left flank, and we fired. And they ran right into our trap. Very effective. Not so pretty. I committed mass Harry Curry all along the trail. That's all there was to it. Well, I never thought we'd get out of those foxholes alive, Captain Chikolnikov. Thanks for helping us chase the rest of the Japs off. I'm glad we could help, Major. The Cutchins will lead you the rest of the way through the jungle so you can rejoin the main body of your column. Can we leave now? Oh, no, Major. The women would be insulted. Aldred in the battle, they were busy preparing the victory feast. <laughs> Pretty sure of themselves, weren't they? <laughs> Good wives. They have confidence in their husbands. <laughs> the feast is ready. Uh, they're even dressed for it. <laughs> Look at that. Flowers in their hair and everything. All dressed up. One of them is overdressed. Colleen, come here. Yes, father. Don't you? Yes, father me. What do you got around your neck? Well, <laughs> necklace. I bow for the victory. My false teeth. <laughs> now, you find yourself another necklace and give them back to me. No, no. 
Then I have nothing. This pretty... Oh, Colleen, Colleen, listen to me. Here, uh, here's something prettier. My sharpshooter's medal. Sharpshooter? Mm-hmm. Every American soldier has one to give to the prettiest girl he meets. Would you like it? Mm. You're shiny. Ribbon pretty, too. Father O'Toole, you have back your teeth. Ha! <laughs> Captain Shekolnikov, you're worthy of the name of O'Shea. <laughs> The capture of the vital airstrip and the ultimate conquest of Michina was due to the combined efforts of the marauders who attacked it and the Kuchin warriors who helped them and harassed the enemy all along the way. And once more, the report of an OSS agent closes with the words, Mission accomplished. A further adventure in black warfare is next week's Cloak and Dagger. Heard in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Raymond Edward Johnson, Carl Weber, Bill Quinn, Joe Julian, Everett Sloan, Inga Adams, Jackson Beck, and Jerry Jarrett. The script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Gart. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Cowan production in association with Alfred Hollander and was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. Robert Warren speaking. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks and a show that was first aired in 1951. For your entertainment and pleasure, here is Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, under the direction of Al Lewis. For many of us, the early morning hours aren't the most cheerful time of the day. So it is with our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Fortunately, however, by the time we've had our second cup of coffee, most of us feel a good deal better. How true that is. I always feel quite a bit better after my second cup of coffee, which I have at 7.30 in the evening. But when some extremely fortunate occurrence is impending, I can even be cheerful at breakfast. That was the case last Friday when I joined my landlady in the dinette. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. My, you're in a good humor this morning, Tommy. It is grand to hear you singing like this. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I've got a wonderful feeling. Everything's going my way. <laughs> and it's such a nice song, too. The beautiful blue Danube. <laughs> have always been my favorite. The Strausses, mine too. I wouldn't get my meat anyplace else. 
This reminds me of the last time you were in such high spirits. I'll never forget that morning. You flitted around like a gay little bird. When was that, Mrs. Davis? The day you found out that Mr. Conklin had to stay in bed with the flu. <laughs> I've got even better news than that today. You mean Mr. Conklin's resigned? Please, Mrs. Davis. Let's not wish for the moon. <laughs> but I did hear that Miss Enright is leaving school for the rest of the semester. She is? Yes. It seems her spinster sister is ill upstate. So Miss Enright's gotten the leave of absence and she's going up to nurse her. You mean Miss Enright's going to nurse her spinster sister for the rest of the semester? Yes. Oh, she'll nurse the spinster sister for the rest of the <laughs> semester and away we'll go. Ooh. Oh. Forgive me, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I can't get that blue Danube out of my head. Well, I know Daisy Enright's always been a rival of yours, Connie, so I can't blame you for being happy about her going. This leaves you a clear field with Mr. Boynton, doesn't it? Exactly. Now there's nothing between Mr. Boynton and me except Mr. Boynton. <laughs> You don't seem so enthusiastic about the news. Frankly, I'm not. Miss Enright's been conducting the course in Red Cross First Aid I've been taking three nights a week. Well, cheer up, Mrs. Davis. Even if the course is discontinued, you can take it again next season. But I was hoping to get some practical experience, Connie. <laughs> oh, that's Walter Denton to drive me to school. Be right with you, Walter. <laughs> If you want first aid experience, Mrs. Davis, why don't you come out to the car and watch us take off? Take off? Yes, the way Walter starts that jalopy, it's ten to one I'll bang my head on the windshield. <laughs> that we're on our way. Let's have a nice, smooth ride to school, Walter. Okay, Miss Brooks. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry you banged your head on the windshield when we started. Oh, forget it. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> Just try to control your tendency to speed, won't you? Yeah, I'll try. But it's awfully difficult on a beautiful day like today. I think I know how you feel, Walter. I'm rather elated, too. Well, I'll bet our joy stems from the same source. The imminent departure of one Daisy Enright. I couldn't be any happier if two Daisy Enrights were leaving. <laughs> I mean, Miss Enright's a very good teacher, Walter. Why should you be happy to see her go? Well, because my mother's been taking her first aid course. And everything she studies, she tries out on my father and me. Well, you shouldn't complain about that, Walter. Your mother's just trying to learn how to take better care of her family. Yeah, she sure took care of me last Monday. Seems she had to do some splint practice, so naturally she used me. You seem a little flexible for a splint, Walter. <laughs> no, she put the splint on my leg, Miss Brooks. And then, then she told me to walk across the room. And did you? I took one step and fell on my face. <laughs> what did your mother do then? She bandaged my face. <laughs> but with six yards of sterile gauze. <laughs> Could have used more, but my dad had nine yards wrapped around him. Your house must have looked like an Arab settlement. Well, with Miss Enright leaving, they'll probably discontinue the class until next year anyhow. But 
surely you've had similar experiences to mine. Mrs. Davis takes the same course. Doesn't she practice on you? No, Walter. Luckily, I've been out a good deal of the time. Mrs. Davis does all her first aid practicing on our next-door neighbor. Oh, Mrs. Landfield? That's right. Limpy Landfield, we call her. (laughs) Hi, Miss Brooks. Didn't Walter drive you to school today? Yes, Harriet. He'll be along in a minute. Oh, you certainly look radiant this morning, Miss Brooks. What's the reason for the big smile? I just told you Walter drove me to school, Harriet. I always smile when I get out of his car alive. (laughs) Whatever the reason, I'm glad you're so cheerful, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Harriet. Oh, before I forget, Daddy wants to see you in his office immediately. Have you any idea what he wants to see me about? No, but he sounded even more urgent than usual. You better get right on in, Miss Brooks. Very well, Harriet. I'll see you in class. Good luck, Miss Brooks. Enter. You wanted to see me, Mr. Conklin? I could answer more truthfully if you rephrased the question. (laughs) There's something about which you must see me? That's better. (laughs) Sit down, please. Now, I don't know whether or not you're aware of it, but our school is about to suffer a grievous loss. Miss Enright is leaving. I know. It's it's terrible. (laughs) Please try to control your sobs. Since her sister is ailing, I've granted Miss Enright a leave of absence effective at once. You see, there's no one else to take care of the poor creature. So Miss Enright will have to nurse a spinster sister for the rest of the semester. Exactly, Miss Brooks. (laughs) Believe me, it is with deep regret that I'll bid farewell to Miss Enright. She embodies all those qualities I most esteem in a teacher. She's very capable, Mr. Conklin. I'm sure that she... She's more than capable, Miss Brooks. When Miss Enright goes, I can't help feeling that some part of our school is going with her. Well, we shouldn't begrudge her a few pencils and erasers. (laughs) I mean, she'll be back in the fall, Mr. Conklin. I sincerely hope so. Now then, since it is too late in the season to hire outside help, this vacancy must be filled by other members of our faculty assuming additional duties. I think I just heard the school bell, Mr. Conklin, so if you'll excuse me. Uh, There was no bell, Miss Brooks. Although her classes will be taken over by Mr. Chalmers, Miss Enright leaves another most important post to be filled. Namely, the Red Cross first aid course she conducted three nights a week. There goes that bell again. (laughs) Be seated, Miss Brooks. (laughs) In mentioning this post to you, I must remind you that in spite of the high honor that goes with the office, there is absolutely no financial recompense whatsoever. That bell is getting louder every minute. <laughs> Look, Mr. Conklin, it's been years since I got my certificate in first aid. Since and... the Red Cross, like Madison High itself, is run on a purely democratic basis, one may only serve it by exercising one's own free choice to serve. It's purely voluntary. But how do you know I'll volunteer, Mr. Conklin? Miss Brooks. <laughs> Do you have a large bank account? I know, sir. 
And is teaching the only profession with which you are familiar? That's right, sir. And would you like to continue to make a living in this profession, Miss Brooks? Certainly, sir. Well, well then... I hereby exercise my own free, democratic, voluntary choice of saying yes. <laughs> Eve Arden will continue in just a moment. But first, if you were a millionaire and changed all the money you owned into single-dollar bills and pressed those bills together as tightly as you could, you couldn't compress them into a single solitary tree. A tree takes years to grow and mature, and no amount of money can buy that. That's why, even if you're a millionaire, you can't afford a forest fire. On the other hand, even if you don't have a million in the bank, you can still afford the moment or two it takes to make sure a cigarette or matchstick is fully extinguished before you toss it away. And no one is so poor he can't afford that little bit of effort that dousing a campfire requires. Be careful whenever you're in or around a forest area. Help prevent forest fires. I had to take over Daisy Enright's first aid course didn't help my appetite any. Nevertheless, when lunchtime came, I went to the school cafeteria, baited a table with meatloaf, and sat down to wait for Mr. Boynton. But as I toyed with my salad, it was Miss Enright's voice that broke in on my reverie. Well, Miss Brooks, as I live and breathe. Two faults that are easily remedied. <laughs> What are you doing, darling? Feeding your full little face again? What do you mean, again? I haven't had anything to eat since... What do you mean, full little face? <laughs> Just take it easy, darling. We've all got our troubles. Look. Look at what's happening with my poor sister, for instance. It's such a pathetic case. Picture, if you can, a poor, lonely sister with hardly a friend in the world. Practically no one to turn to. I sympathize with you, Miss Enright. Now tell me about your sister. Quaint <laughs> <laughs> sense of humor. No, but there's something I want to discuss with you. Do you mind if I sit down here for a moment? Not at all. I can't digest this food anyway. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Brooks, I understand that you've been requested to complete my first aid course. Or is the word volunteered? The word is railroaded. <laughs> what I can't figure out is why Mr. Conklin picked on me. Oh, you were a natural for the job, my dear. Otherwise, I would never have recommended you. You recommended me? Oh, dear. Now the cat is out of the bag, isn't it? I don't blame you for being self-conscious. <laughs> Are you inferring? If the bag fits, get back in it. <laughs> really going out in a blaze of infamy, aren't you? Going out? Oh, oh, but that's what I sat down to tell you, darling. I'm not going anyplace. My sister has decided to come down here and live with me. Isn't that a relief? It's such a relief, I may kill myself. 
Well, at least I won't have to conduct those classes of yours. Oh, but you will, darling. That's one of the provisions I made when I agreed to stay. I told Mr. Conklin that I'd have to spend all my free time with my sister, and he said that he didn't mind a bit as long as you took over for me. As one English teacher to another, Miss Enright, I'd just like to say that I am the one who has been took over. <laughs> I just don't think it's fair for you to Good step... afternoon, ladies. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. Oh, no, not a thing, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Won't you sit down? Well, thanks, Miss Enright. That food you've got looks very appetizing, Mr. Boynton. Oh, yes. I thought I'd take a whirl at the pot roast today. But I kept this plate of meatloaf covered for you, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I can probably handle them both and starve. <laughs> oh, my. That roast looks yummy. And so does the meatloaf. Would you care to try one or the other, Miss Enright? Why don't you try both, Miss Enright? You can feed one of your faces and I'll feed the other. <laughs> I, uh, I think Miss Brooks is a trifle miffed because she's going to have to take over some of my duties. Well, yes, I heard you were leaving, Miss Enright. When are you going? Surprise, surprise. I'm not going at all, Mr. Boynton. You're not? No. Well, that is a pleasant bit of news. Did you hear that, Miss Brooks? Miss Enright's staying on. She's not leaving at all. Isn't that just splendid? <laughs> Oh, eat your pot roast. <laughs> My dear sister is coming to live with me, Mr. Boynton. I'm going to take care of her. Oh, I see. Well, well that'll keep you pretty close to home most evenings, won't it? Oh, oh, I don't know. One can't look after one's sister every night. Now can one? If one doesn't go out until one's asked, one can. <laughs> must excuse me. I've got several things to do. Oh, do you have to go so soon, Miss Brooks? I'm afraid I do, Mr. Boynton. Here's your check for the meatloaf. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. But uh, where, uh, well, where is your... Uh, I uh, paid my check, Mr. Boynton. Oh, well, uh, so long. Toodles. <laughs> oh, before you go, darling, I'd like to remind you that I'm coming over to your house tonight to brush you up on the first aid course. It was Mr. Conklin's idea. What? As a matter of fact, he's coming along with me. But I didn't plan he on... He said we'd be there at 8 sharp, Miss Brooks, so you'd better be ready at that time. You know, this first aid course is Mr. Conklin's pet project. Uh, sort of like Mr. Boynton is to certain other members of the faculty. <laughs> if you know what I mean, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I guess it's safe to leave him here for a few minutes. <laughs> the Emperor has spoken. I guess I'll see you tonight, Miss Enright. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Oh, goodbye, Miss Brooks. Oh, uh, don't stop at the dessert counter, dear. From the back, those calories show like mad. <laughs> if I could plead manslaughter, I'd kill her. <laughs> All the unjust, tyrannical... Oh, take it easy, Miss Brooks. You know what talking to yourself is the first sign of, don't you? Yes, Walter, but I don't care. Oh, things can't be that terrible. Tell Uncle Walt what's the matter. It's pretty bad, Unc. 
Miss <laughs> Enright just told me that she and Mr. Conklin are coming over to my place tonight to brush me up on her first aid course. What's so bad about that? This is a chance to kill two of your favorite birds with one stone. <laughs> if you're going to show them what you remember from your first aid experience, you get a chance to not only clobber Miss Enright, but to show Mr. Conklin that you're totally unfit to take over the job. Well, Miss Brooks, what do you think of the scheme? Walter, if we were in France, I'd kiss you on both cheeks and give you the Legion of Honor. <laughs> Good evening, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Conklin, Miss Enright. Come in, won't you? Thank you. Just leave your coats and heads out here. A hat. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Well, are you all prepared for your refresher course? I really don't think it'll be necessary, Miss Enright. You see, I've been rereading my manual, and you'd be surprised how quickly the things I'd learned came back to me. Well, I'm delighted to hear that, Miss Brooks. But if you're going to instruct others, I'd like to see some practical demonstration of this knowledge. Of course, sir. Just follow me into the living room, please. As you can see, I've moved most of the furniture into one corner of the room, and I've got the splints, bandages, and adhesive all ready. Excellent. Now then, let's get right to business. We will suppose that our subject has sustained a fractured elbow and a broken ankle. Let's make it two broken ankles. <laughs> Very well, two broken ankles. And now then, lie down, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Then we can... Wait a minute. Why should I lie down? If someone had sustained two broken ankles and a fractured elbow, is it too unreasonable to assume she'd be lying down? No, sir, but the wrong bones are being broken. That is, I want to show you what I know about first aid. Miss Enright's the one who must lie down. Oh, you want me to pretend I've been through an accident? Believe me, it's typecasting. <laughs> Just crumpled, dear. The rug is spotless so far. Now, now, let's get on with it. Do as she says, Miss Enright. Oh, very well. Now, we'll assume that Miss Enright has been in an automobile accident, and besides having both arms broken, she's in an acute state of shock. Shock? Well, how do I react? As if Mr. Boynton finally asked you for a date. <laughs> now, my first job is to kneel by her side and take care of the arm. This Silk sleeve seems to be covering up the injury. Miss <laughs> Brooks, this is a brand new dress. Please. What do you want to be? Neat or cured? <laughs> now, it's, it's obvious from the looks of this arm that it's badly injured. Where my fingers touch, it's all black and blue. See, Mr. Conklin? Where? Where is it black and blue? Ouch! Right there. <laughs> now, hand me that catsup bottle, please, Mr. Conklin. Well, here you are, but what's it for? Realism. This was a pretty bad accident, remember? Oh, Brooks, you're ruining my dress. Quiet, you're in a state of shock. <laughs> now we'll start bandaging the arm. First, I put the splint gently against the skin. Oh! <laughs> then I start the roller bandage here. Now I wrap the gauze with one arm this way. Yes, go on. Then I put the other arm through and tie the bandage this way. Now I reverse the process, again bringing the other arm through the bandage and wrapping it securely. Uh, now what? Now if someone will untie my arms, I'll continue. 
Uh, Miss Brooks, can you or can you not tie a firm bandage? This splint was a bit too rough, Mr. Conklin, but if Miss Enright will let me use one of her legs... Now, see here, Miss Brooks. Now, please, please cooperate, Miss Enright. Stand up and let's see if Miss Brooks can tie a firm bandage on your leg. Well, if you insist, Mr. Conklin, there. Now then, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just stand nearby and hand me a few things... Very well, very well. Please. Uh, first, please pass me the adhesive. Uh, here you are. Now, we'll take down your stocking, Miss Enright. There. And wrap this adhesive nice and tight. There. Oh, Miss Brooks, but you don't put adhesive next to the skin. First, the bandage must come. You're so right, darling. Off you come, adhesive. <laughs> now, now we take this bandage and... Oh, uh, hand me a splint, please, Mr. Conklin. Uh, here, here. The idea is to get a good, steady support for the leg. Around we go with the bandage, all around the splint. Another bandage, please, Mr. Conklin. Here's one. Now we wrap this around the other one. Now the adhesive, round and round and round. There. How does that feel? Solid? Very, Very solid. solid. Good grief, you've tied Miss Enright's leg to mine. <laughs> I thought one of those legs had more wool on it than the other. <laughs> Will you please get this bandage untied? I'll have to tear this splint out first. Ugh! Ouch! There's a big splinter right in my thumb. Good. Now, for your next test, let's suppose that somebody's got a big splinter right in his thumb. Oh, I'll get it. Mr. Boynton, come on in. Well, I just dropped by to return a book I borrowed from Mrs. Davis, but... Oh, you've got company. Please join us, Mr. Boynton. Right. Oh, good evening, Mr. Conklin, Miss Enright. Say, what are you doing, having a three-legged race? <laughs> Don't be funny, Boynton. There has been an accident. <laughs> What's that on Miss Enright's dress? Oh, no. How do you like that? A biology teacher who faints at the side of catsup. <laughs> I didn't faint, Miss Brooks. I, I just slipped on this scatter rug. <laughs> well, stop jabbering, everyone. I've got to get this splinter removed. Would you like me to probe, Mr. Conklin? <laughs> Keep away from me, you angel of destruction! <laughs> Mr. Conklin, Daisy Enright's on the job. I'll get it out for you in just a jiffy. Now, here's a nice clean pin. Now, give Daisy your thumb. Come on, come to Daisy. Down, Daisy, down, girl. Here, here, Miss Enright. Now, please be careful. Oh, there's nothing to it, Mr. Conklin. There, it's out. Say, that didn't hurt a bit. 
Remarkable, Miss Enright. You know, everyone should master first aid. I've been thinking of taking that course myself. You have? Yes. I'd like to sign up right now for the balance of the semester. It's a deal. Monday night at 8, I throw out the first bandage. Over my limp carcass, you do. <laughs> Miss Enright, I'll move heaven and earth if you take over your old course. Well, that won't be necessary, Mr. Conklin. Now, she's halfway to heaven already. <laughs> oh, well. Miss Enright, there's just one question I'd like to ask you. Yes, Miss Brooks? What sort of splint does one use after one cuts one's throat? <laughs> Once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin was so delighted at Miss Enright's decision to resume her first aid class that he insisted on treating her to an ice cream soda before taking her home. So they were out of the house before I could reach her jugular vein. <laughs> That's when I got out my Red Cross manual. If, uh, if you're so interested in first aid, Mr. Boynton, maybe we could practice a bit before your first lesson. Oh, I'd love to, Miss Brooks. Uh, here's an interesting problem. It deals with a back injury. For want of a better subject, let's just say I'm the injured party. Now, you place your left arm around my shoulders. Like this? <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> then your right arm goes around my waist. Like this. What does the book say we should do next? Never mind the book. Ad lib a little. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Byrne, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Alsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Mary Jane Croft. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.